The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio. This is your cell. This is your bunk. This is the jail visit on Shiawassee Radio, live from the Cofield Oil and Propane Studios. Here's attorney Bill Amadeo. Work for South McFarland. Oh, we were. Not yet. We're waiting for the thing to circle, but we're live. It circles to tell you, like, it's coming. That's like a preview. Hey, everyone. I am Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo and Grable and Associates, and we got a different live audience today. One of our live audience members is at Planned Parenthood, I'm assuming. Is this band off? <laughs> He's gonna get the link. He watches it religiously. He's not because of a Facebook account. <laughs> he uses my Facebook account to search people. Can I get like all these? I'm like going through my uh, phone, and Carol's like, "Why are you looking at all these weird things?" I'm like, what? Anyway, so. <laughs> This morning has brought us a lot of different things. There's concern, there's anger, there's laughter, and I guess confusion. And I gotta watch not to name names here because I'm sure some of these people tune in afterwards to get their coffee break over at the uh, certain office and like, oh, what's up with you doing today? It's gonna be entertaining. So I guess it starts this morning as I try to leave my house. Get out of the garage, right? I'm going down a little hill. And I realized, oh shit, I forgot something. Put my car in park. But the car continued to go down the hill. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, well, I'm just going to run with this. <laughs> it wasn't that important anyway. I'm sure I got a document saved. So I, I thought it was a little weird. And things happened the night before that were also strange, but I'm thinking, ah, well, all I want to do today is go to the gym, get a good lift in, and uh, hit court, have a productive day. So, I go to 3M1 Fitness, and I get there about between 7.28 and 7.30. Now, when you go on a 3M1, you got to change your shoes. Because the owner does not like you coming in with snowy shoes. Mr. Rogers. Yeah, it's... So I'm changing my shoes, and... Got my headphones on. Listen to Spotify. And I'm texting people, and... Two gentlemen in their 40s come up to me. Um, I thought they were homeless people, because a lot of homeless people walk in that parking lot. And it was hard to describe these individuals, but I said, hey guys, you need a few bucks. Now, at this point, you think you're going to get carjacked. I mean, this is what my youth brings to me. So I always got like a little bit of money in my car that if you get carjacked, here's what you do. You throw the money, and usually the carjacker will go for the money and give you a chance to escape. These guys want to talk. (laughs) Yeah, five bucks each. Weren't interested in the money? No, well, they took the five bucks each. 
And these were large black gentlemen in hoodies. That's the only description I could give them. So they said to me, hey, good, I'm going to read this correctly. Good luck in court, B. We know you got this. I said, oh, thanks. I appreciate it. Then one of the guys showed me that he was carrying a gun. He said, you got this thing, and if you don't, we do. Thanks for being a white boy on the side of justice. Now, at this point, huh, I think I know what they're talking about. Maybe. I said, hey guys, thank you, what's your names? They laughed, they said, have a good day, B. I got my stuff together, I went to the gym. I asked the gym staff, hey, do you guys have a camera out there? No. I tried to do a voice memo, but I didn't get it done in time. I had to have a lousy description of them. Quite simple, they were two large gentlemen that showed me a gun and wished me luck in court and said if I don't succeed, they'll take care of things. I don't know, I just seem to think that's concerning for some people. Um, I, there's no criminal action here, they didn't threaten me in any way. And they were vague enough in what they were saying. It's an unusual way to start the day. But, uh, okay. So I shower up. I'm running the court. Going through the ice. I want to go, I want to pick up this PSI and go over this plea with a client. And the court's closed. I should have checked online. But they said they were going to open up at 11, potentially. So I emailed the prosecutor. And I get a message back that they're closed for today. Okay, so... You still don't have the PSI. I still have the PSI, <laughs> correct. Correct. <laughs> so I decide to run back to the office. And I'm going to make this a sweatpants and study day. You notice I'm not in sweatpants right now. There's a reason for that. But I run back to the office and I park where I normally park. And the snowplow, the, uh, snowplow guy's out there. And he's way down the end of the parking lot. He comes firing back like he's, his car's like flying through ice and he gets out of his car and his hands are waving. It's like, ah, oh, I got one more sheet to plow, what are you doing? I said, sir, do you want me to move so you can finish your job? Would that be a good way to approach this situation? I'm annoyed as hell. Mama told him to be passionate. <laughs> Jesus Christ. What the hell was that? So he's pissed off, and then the snowplow guy's screaming at me. Like, okay. So I walk in the court. Well, not court. It's going to be Zoom court. We'll get there in a minute, but before I do Zoom court, there's a lawyer I'm friendly with, and he's having a medical condition, so I told him I would fill in for him and try to get an adjournment for this case. And I told him, don't worry about it, it's on me, I'll take care of that. So the client had asked for this adjournment, and I gave the client some advice, like, look, here's how I see your case, here's how I perceive it. And I did get you the 30-day adjournment. The court was gracious enough to do that. I said, but you have to plea or go to trial after the 30 days. Whoever you hire as a lawyer, make sure they get with the court immediately and study the evidence. Well, I'm not cool with this at all. <laughs> what? I need an explanation from you, and I need it now. 
you have been to? You asked me to get you in a German on a case I'm not involved with. I did it free of charge to help out your other lawyer, and you're screaming at me in this text message. So I fire back. Listen, dude. I'm sure there's some lawyers out there that will lie to you to get your money. This is my assessment of the case. And here's what I think should be done. Have a good day. After he sends a novel back to me, he ends with, thank you, I'll be in touch. You do that, pal. Finally, I'm just going to throw my sweats on. But there's a family law case where the individual told us they want to do it alone. No problem. So we were terminated. The court starts calling me. They're doing Zoom today. They're open, unlike Washington. Why are you not on our Zoom hearing? Who is this? They tell me who they are. And you understand something. Number one, it's Jen's case. Number two, the client said he didn't want us representing him. Number three, the person on the phone didn't identify themselves. <laughs> so I jump on and dance through that. And, uh, oh, you still on. I did jump on, yeah. And then I emailed this prosecutor. Hello, Sheila. I don't know who that is, but they said hello. Hi. Um, I emailed this prosecutor as I was trying to look out for them on this case. I said, hey, this paperwork's not in. We need an adjournment. Um, we can't proceed without this paperwork. And I just want to give you a heads up. I'm not trying to hurt your schedule or anything, but this was never received. But if you have the paperwork, please let me know. And let's just say this prosecutor's name is Kristen. I'm lying about the name. So I said, hey, Chris, I'm really sorry about all this. And they said, don't you ever call me Chris! I'm like, holy shit. And then, um, lastly... You're nice. I was, like, I was like, I said, okay, my bad, Chris. Dude, so I'm wondering, like... Like, was medication not taken last night? Because so far today, I've been screamed out by a playout guy, almost got in a car accident, been turned down from court to go in, was displayed a gun, a pro bono client is screaming at me, I'm trying to help his lawyer out, and a prosecutor will not discuss the merits of the case, but is upset I shortened her name when I was trying to do them a favor. And they excuse me, you got the German a few weeks ago. Because preparation requested it. Not my problem. Like, okay. I mean, are those dating apps that bad these days? Oh no! Yes. <laughs> Holy shit! So lastly, I get an email. I get an email from a complaining witness in a case from a trial I won. And I had to provide paperwork notice to this individual and i said to them hi i'm sorry to contact you if you have a lawyer please let me know because we're doing a civil aspect of the case but here's the documentation that you're going to need for court again please let me know if you have a lawyer and i'll contact the lawyer directly i didn't see a lawyer in the register of actions fuck you i'm like okay and then this individual who was really is crazy Starts saying all these things about my mother, which just is not good. I'm like, okay. It's a woman, so I can't curse her, but if I was your mother, I'd be ashamed of you. How dare you email me? I, I had to give you the paperwork. 
So I, I contact her soon-to-be ex-husband, and he explains, oh yeah, that's the way she is. <laughs> Alright. Yeah, it's hard to believe things didn't work out there. Yeah, it's strange that it didn't work out. Jesus. Well, I said to him, dude, I, I know people like this. I'm like, don't you have, like, a friend who's not really a friend? We've all been here, right? You know, we're trying to get rid of someone who's on our tail. Like, you're in a quasi-relationship with them, and you want to get rid of them. And you have that person who you're lukewarm with, and you pretend you're close with that person you really are, and you hook those two up. Like, yeah, you know, you gotta meet Steve. <laughs> He's a great guy. You know, and Steve and Roberta get together. So I said to the client, hey, don't you have a Steve? Don't you have a friend like that? Aren't there guys like that? And he goes, Cherie screwed all those guys. <laughs> so, all right. Well, that was, that's what happened. This was the morning of, what's it, 23rd? 2024. I know, I know. All right, I'm, I'm actually going to put the sweat till now and start trying to probably first. <laughs> The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. All right, I am Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo and Grable Associates. And tonight, we're talk about the defense of entrapment. You know... Lately, my professionalism has been questioned. And I kind of... I'm in this crossroads, right? And that's why this topic is so perfect tonight. Because I've been told that I put the offense in defense. Tonight, we're going to discuss a defense that you have to be aggressive on. And in criminal defense work, in criminal defense work, it's painful sometimes. Let me tell you why it's painful. If you're good, if you're attached to the client, it's painful. Because you take this home with you. My day consisted of a bunch of hearings, motions, had to take my kid to the doctor for a couple hours, put my kid to bed, walk the dog, kiss the wife, come back to work. We make decisions in this profession. There's ones that want to get by. There's ones that really want to be good. There's ones that are motivated by Google hits and ones that are motivated by money. And lately, I'm in this crossroads, right? Like, there's Willow Avenue and there's Lore Road. And let me explain what that means. Willow Avenue is where I'm from. Born and bred, a white kid from Atlantic City. And I will tell you, in the 90s growing up there, that was interesting. Lore Road is where you your journey took you. Whatever. But the defense of entrapment brings me back to Ducktown. It brings me back to Willow Avenue. And when I'm thinking, okay, well, it's almost 10 o'clock at night. I know I got to get content done for my firms. I know that's important. 
but there's so many cases that are so important right now. And this kid comes up to me today, young lawyer. She's good. She's going to be really good. And she says, I want to be you. And I'm like, do you really want to be in the office at 10 o'clock at night? Because if you do, cool, but there's sacrifices that come with that. And sometimes you got to look up case law in the wee hours of the morning to get ahead on the competition. Remember one thing. If you really want to be good. And to me, as a child that grew up in poverty and on welfare, there's always this fear of going back to that situation. It's a terrible fear you got. Good with money, you're making money, it doesn't matter. When you grew up in chaos, you always believe chaos will come again. And one thing I saw from dirty police officers, and let me be clear, a good cop is worth their weight in gold. A dirty cop should be incarcerated. When we discuss the concept of entrapment, I don't see kids on Lore Road getting caught up in entrapment. I remember kids from Willow Avenue getting caught up in this before we knew what it was. And as a child, you know, you got your mock trial books and you're taking your jitney rides and you're in the hood trying to hide from gangs and all this other shit. You knew something was just not right how some of these kids were getting arrested. And, you know, my way out of the hood was through academics. So, you know, every day I get to put on a suit and tie, I know I'm lucky. But entrapment's personal. Because when I see somebody entrapped, it just pisses me the fuck off, you know? And now Willow Avenue's coming out. And Willow Avenue helps a lot in court. It also keeps you up at night sometimes, that shit. But okay. What are we talking about with entrapment? And this drives me nuts. And this is what sting operations are about. Sting operations are about sex solicitation, drug solicitation. What we're saying broadly is that the police are trying to set somebody up. They're trying to entice them into a crime. And for you young lawyers out there that will watch this, look at Jacobson versus the United States, look at Matthews versus the United States, those two cases are still valuable when you're doing your entrapment motions. And you have to understand, when you do these motions, what you're saying to the circuit court judge is cops in their county screwed up. And there's politics that come into play there. So this is where reality kicks in. Sometimes it's hard for a judge to rule properly on your motions if their political life could be on the line. You can't take that personal. Sometimes a judge will rule against you. As defense lawyers, we lose motions, we win trials. But with the whole key of this motion, guys, you gotta watch this. This is what's critical now. Even if you lose, you have to build a crystal clear record. And you do that with your writing, you do that with your oral skills, but you have to be able to kick it to the Court of Appeals. 
you have to go for an interlocutory appeal. And sometimes you got to take it to the Michigan Supreme Court. Sometimes you got to go to a federal court. But you got to trap the entrapment argument. And it starts with Jacobson and Matthews. You have to hit those two cases. But I'm going to give you the elements. Okay, so take this as a tutorial. But there's two key elements. Then we'll talk about hypotheticals. Okay, but you have to really hit these elements hard. And this is not a bullshit Michigan bar essay where you just hit the elements and move on. you got to own the elements. You know when they tell you in law school about the IRAC issue, rule, application, conclusion? The application is the color commentator. The rule is the play-by-play -play guy. Let me tell you what that means. To spit out the law is like a play-by-play -play guy talking to you on a sports game, okay? They tell you what happens. The color commentator describes how that happened. That's where you have to describe and capture the judge. And you have to know if that judge rules against you, your argument was so solid that you could kick it up to the Court of Appeals and have the reviewing court say, okay, I get what they're doing. That's what's key here. So the first element you have to see if the police induced you. Did they induce this individual? Now, this element is generally not the difficult hurdle. You know, we talk about Miranda, custody and interrogation. The custody element is usually not what's difficult. The interrogation element is. That's a story for another time. In this case, the inducement element, it's pretty clear. The cops offered you drugs, or they offered you porn on a website, or they offered you a sex worker. So now we're looking solely at the actions of the police officer. And when you're writing this motion, you're doing oral argument, you gotta isolate that, okay? Take this element and carve that out. Carve that bad boy out. And then you gotta throw case law. And more importantly, you gotta tell your story. And the story is, the police did something actively to try to get an incarceration. You know, and this is what bothers me. There's so much crime going on in the world. So when a good officer goes after someone, okay, cool. But in this case, the cop is trying to create prosecutions. Did they try to induce? Did they try to lead you on? Okay. That's one. That is not overly difficult to prove. Where shit gets real is element two. Now we're getting into the mind of the defendant. And we're asking ourselves, was that defendant predisposed? Predisposition. This is difficult. Let me break it down for you. You're trying to subjectively tell the jurist that my client was not going to commit the crime until they were induced. Let's break that apart with a hypothetical, okay? There's an undercover drug dealer. And I'm going to go back to Willow Avenue for a minute because this happened a lot. There's a guy selling cocaine and he's 5-0 he's undercover 
And he goes up to a kid. And he says, you want to sell some cocaine for me? So right now, think about this. He's inducing this kid. And I'm going to give you a hypo of a Jersey case I worked on years ago before I came out here. Where I won an entrapment argument, which was really difficult, but it was clear as day what went down. So you tell this kid, do you want to deal coke? So you present this idea. Here's where shit gets difficult. Here's where the water gets choppy. Element two. Was that kid predisposed to deal the coke? In English. Was the kid going to be a coke dealer without the officer presenting said opportunity? Were they predisposed to commit the crime? In English, did they want to commit the crime before their interaction with the government actor? This is where things get weird. Because if the kid was trying to buy cocaine, does that mean they were predisposed to distribute cocaine? And let's just take Michigan for a moment. We're looking at drug crimes, right? And I've done a lot of drug crimes. There is distribution. There is possession. There is use. Use is bottom of the barrel. We're usually not throwing people in prison for utilizing cocaine. Unless they're a have for that's a story for another time. Possession in really broad terms means they had some, they might have been partying with it. it, the crime becomes heightened there, but you're really asking yourself, okay, how big of a problem is this person to society? Probably not going to the Michigan Department of Corrections for possessing cocaine or using cocaine. Again, it depends on a lot of things. But talking broadly, it's not going to happen. Distributions where shit gets real. What is distribution besides a 20-year felony? Did you intend to sell this narcotic? Now, if this kid wanted to use the cocaine, and let me tell you, kids do stupid things, right? We see people use cocaine to get laid, we see athletes use cocaine to perform better on the field. We see people use cocaine, I'm just using coke as an example here, to get away from their problems. Everybody knows I'm straight edge. I never even smoked weed. I'm not a drug guy at all. But I was always surrounded by drug people, and I don't know. I just always felt, you know, if you made it legal and taxed it, we wouldn't be killing each other on a corner for a crack pipe. But that's a story for another time. We won't talk politics too much right now. But here's this kid that wants to use cocaine, and then the cop says, you know what? You can become the big fish. If you start selling the cocaine, you can make more money. You can get that hot girl. You can be the man. And you see a poor kid that takes that invitation. And what the undercover cop is doing here is trying to get this poor kid who's a pawn to start selling to meet bigger fish. Then they want him to roll, snitch, inform on other people within the chain. 
And my question for you is, was that kid predisposed to distribute cocaine because he was using cocaine? Or did the police officer put the idea in his head and then he decided he wanted to do it? That's your battle here, okay? What was the goal of the defendant when they had interaction with the government agent? The government agent being the police officer. Did they want to do this? Or did the idea become appealing to them, attractive to them, once the opportunity presented itself? This is your line in the sand. This is your fight, okay? Follow me on this one. I hear you, cousin friend. It is. But here we are. Predisposition. I'm going to tell you guys a story of one of my first criminal cases in Jersey. And I wasn't doing a lot of criminal work in Jersey. It was a side thing. I never wanted to do criminal law. You know, you're running away from who you are. That's, you know, some of you guys that follow me know that. But here we are. And there was a young female cop who was posing as a high school student. It was like a scene out of 21 Jump Street, okay? Real pretty girl. She was like 22, posing as a 16-year-old. And she goes up to this dumb kid. And she says to the kid, Hey, if you get me cocaine, I'll give you a blowjob. So she's clearly inducing this kid. And then he gets her to cocaine and sells to some of her friends in this group, the in-crowd girls, if you would, or whatever. And next thing you know, this kid's life is over with a 20-year felony. Jersey have the 7411 statute. Again, that's a conversation for another time. And my question was this. This is the argument I won. Did this kid ever want to be a drug dealer? Did he ever want to distribute cocaine? Or was he just trying to win the physical affection of this pretty girl? My argument, which was successful, is clearly she induced him. But he was not predisposed. She put the idea in his head. Now watch the line the same, guys. Here's the difference. If this guy... This young kid wants to get with this girl. And he goes up to her and says, hey, I got cocaine. Want to party with me? And then she takes that information and evolves it into a criminal prosecution. Now he's predisposed, right? But if she's the one that presented the idea, before he took any actions towards distributing the cocaine, that's your argument. That's where the case law has to support. That's your A in the Iraq. You got to evolve that. Predisposition is the line in the sand. And a circuit court judge, you're asking that individual to go against their government agency by saying the cops went too far and the defendant, who's in a precarious situation in these hypos, did not have that subjective intent to commit that crime. That's a tall task. You have to make a crystallized argument to bring that up to a reviewing court. The motion has to be strong. The oral argument has to be succinct. We look at it broadly. We look at Jacobson. We look at Matthews. 
we look at inducement, and most part we look at were they predisposed, predisposition. If you had to do an essay or a brief tomorrow, you would throw those two cases out there, and you'd run with those two elements. Now, not everybody's capable of making that argument. Let me be really clear. It's one thing to discuss the defense of entrapment. It's another thing to make that entrapment argument come to life. You gotta watch this. Especially with people that are not American citizens because the current legislation says you get convicted of a crime. Let's say, hypothetically, you are accused of drug distribution. And you work some magic as a defense lawyer. They know you're good. They know they're in for a war, they being the prosecutor. And they want to increase their conviction rate. But they don't necessarily want to go 12 rounds with you. And here they come with this amazing offer. We'll take you from distribution to use. So you're chopping it down two layers, right? And now we go to use... We're probably looking at a probationary sentence from Michigan Department of Corrections. Remember, there's a place called prison and a place called jail. Remember Eminem's famous song? There's a place called prison, a place called jail, there's a place called heaven, a place called hell. And daddy's gone all three but one. That was a joke when Eminem was younger. But here's what we're talking about, the significance there. Prisons where the big boys play, okay? The Michigan Department of Corrections. Over 12 months, you're going to the big house under 12 months generally and there's exceptions to this you're going to local county time local county time gets you good time credit prison we got truth and sentencing in michigan which is a complete oxymoron but you don't get good time credit probation means hey if i do things right maybe i'll keep this off my record and i'm not going to incarceration so on its face some cases are about guilt and innocence some cases are about risk assessment. When there's an immigration issue, it's always about risk assessment. Because sometimes you have no choice but to try a case that you normally could plea out. On its face, I got an entrapment argument. And I got a distribution charge. But now I got this down to use. And I can make a clear downward departure argument. My guy's not going to do any time. Here's the catch-all. If your guy is not an American citizen, we got something called crimmigration. And crimmigration means if they have an immigration issue, even the use charge could get them into removal proceedings and they get deported. So in that case, what would normally be a good deal for an American citizen is out the window. It's trial or bust in that situation. And that makes the entrapment argument more essential. Because you may have to lock this up at the Court of Appeals. Maybe the Michigan Supreme Court. Maybe federal court, depending upon how those layers go. Again, that's a top conversation for another time. But you got to lock it up. Because if you don't lock it up, a probationary sentence today may lead to removal proceedings tomorrow, depending upon the citizenship of your client. So now, when they're in that situation, the sweetheart plea may be a sentence to never be in the country again. You gotta watch that. One of the main issues of malpractice I see in criminal defense 
is when lawyers do not understand the immigration status of their clients. You have to ask that question. You have to know that cold. If you get your client an amazing deal, but they have to leave the country, did you do them a service? You may have to try that case. Despite how bad the facts may be. Sometimes in removal proceedings, I won't bore you with too many details tonight, losing a trial may be more advantageous than taking a plea with a factual basis and admission of guilt. And when you got someone in that crimmigration aspect and you have an entrapment argument and the circuit court judge may not grant that, you are not performing for the circuit court judge. You are performing for the reviewing court. And that reviewing court is going to take your oral argument, take the transcript, and take your motion. And they're going to put magic around there. That's where it's going to go down. So, watch your back with that. I see too many young lawyers forget the immigration aspect when they have a valid entrapment argument and they get this amazing plea deal without realizing the amazing plea deal you may escape prison you may escape local time but you may have to leave the country the legislation comes into the judiciary there and you gotta watch your back or you're doing your client a disservice okay so I guess that's all I have to say tonight. Um, guys, hang in there. Young lawyers watching this, I hope you found this helpful. It's an aggressive argument. And it's one you have to expect to lose. But remember, you're simply auditioning for a reviewing court when you make this argument. You have to lay it out there and paint that picture to watch it go up another level. And when there's an immigration issue attached to that, the stakes get higher. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. Talk about from the sandbox of the clicks, and this is a... um like a biography of somebody from the past. It's an interesting one. I have to get some content done. I had to take a break from Krim Law for a minute. I've been going at it all day and all night. Do you guys see what Mickey Mantle wrote? There's a great link on somebody's old baseball pages today. Mickey Mantle wrote what his most memorable moment was at Yankee Stadium. He wrote this on December 14th, 1972. I gotta tell you, Mickey Mantle, one of the greatest players of all time. Maybe the greatest player of all time if he stayed healthy. What he wrote as his greatest moment at Yankee Stadium was not what you would expect. I thought it was going to be about a World Series win. It wasn't. Check that out. Mickey Mantle's most memorable moment at Yankee Stadium, December 14th, 1972. I'm not going to get into what he said, but um, you'll enjoy it. See that photo bomb of the whale at the wedding? That was funny. People 
Got confused over that today. Anyway, let's talk about from the sandbox to the clicks. And we're growing up. We're kids, right? And we're all in the sandbox hanging out. Before we start deciding who's cool and who's not, and who is important based on social economics or whose parents are important, there's a time in life when we're all just cool with each other, right? Things change. There is one story I'm going to tell today. I'm not going to mention the individual's name, but I'm going to just give a synopsis of how life can be altered, how things can change, how shit can just happen. I was a kid, you know, and I grew up in Ducktown. Ducktown in Atlantic City in the 80s and 90s was no joke. Definitely one of the most dangerous areas because it was next to Pitney Village. So, while we lived there at like age five, age six, it was still a decent neighborhood. Like, really took off in like third, fourth grade. The neighborhood changed. And it changed in a very bad way. But there was a girl I was friends with as a child. We lived next to each other. Our families knew each other. Guess she was my first crush. I don't know. But, you know, you're a kid and you're playing in the sandlot and all that stuff. And, you know, and I guess it was a relatively poor neighborhood, but... You don't really notice that at five, six years old. She was uh, somebody I was cool with. And right before the neighborhood changed, before it went to Wood, her family moved to Margate. Margate, as many of you know that watch this, that was wealthy. Atlantic City was poor. So her family didn't have a ton of money. Um, but you know, certainly enough to get out of what was going to be the ghetto. And we lost track of each other. Now, we would go to each other's birthday parties and stuff like that, but it was interesting growing up in Atlantic City versus growing up in Margate. Um, grammar school years were rough. I was sick with my stomach, almost died a few times. Brutal case of dyslexia. You guys heard things about Father Sullivan. And I guess she was just pretty girl living the Margate lifestyle. We remained in touch. We were friends. Uh, so I thought. So grammar school was interesting. And her first year of high school, she went to a different high school. But sophomore year, she came to my high school. And I was pretty excited. Like, wow, my old childhood friend. Because let me tell you, high school was brutal, right? Because at this point, the old neighborhood was a pure ghetto. It was survival mode. And let me tell you something. If you didn't live in that part of Atlantic City in the 90s, you really need to shut up about it. So I've heard people say, oh, Atlantic City was fine. Yes, it was fine if you were going to a casino and staying towards Ventnor and Margate. It was not fine when you went home on the Jitney. So unless you walked a mile in those shoes, Omar Martin, John Newsom, Jose Rivera, Dave Cruz, they can comment on that. 
people from the suburbs cannot comment on it. And it was rough because, you know, grandpa's dying my sophomore year. You're poor. You're white, which made you the minority in Ducktown at that time. And she transferred in. I'm excited. You know, I am so excited because my childhood friend is here now. And I'm going to have this connection. And I saw her first day sophomore year. And I ran up to her and said, oh my god, how you been? And she looked at me. Like the stare. Now, here's what I didn't get at that point. At this point of the game, she didn't want to remember the neighborhood we came from. She pretended to have money. Her family didn't, but enough to have an apartment in Margate. And I'm, you know, I am who I am. And it was one thing to get kind of dissed, right? Because now she could afford better clothing, and she had her little clips, and smoking her weed, and doing her drinking on Friday. I'm just trying to survive. And like I said, it was one thing to just get dissed. But it was another thing to do what she did. There were friends of hers that I liked and I was talking to, and she would go out of her way to destroy those potential relationships. It was enough to forget where you came from. It was now enough to keep your social economic status up. Because there was a fear that if I broke into that inner circle of hers, her world would kind of fall apart. Because now they would know, oh, wait a minute. You were living in the ghetto too at one point. And while she was being a real bitch, I always kept her secret. It's like an unwritten code, I guess. High school was brutal. I hated high school. High school was probably the time of her life. And it was interesting how there was this coldness about this girl. Like, all the the childhood memories, being in kindergarten, playing in the sandbox, and going to each other's parties, her family was not friends with my family anymore. In fact, we were looked down upon. And uh, when I broke out with mock trial junior year, she kind of, she talked a lot of about me. She was just a cruel person and she went off to a big school and I was going to community college. And it was funny. It was it was hurtful at the time. Because, you know, back then you're just looking for a friend, right? You're looking for a friend. You're looking for a connection. And not only did she not connect, I mean, she just tread on me. It was a lot for a 15-year-old kid going through enough shit already to deal with. And, um, she was it in high school, and I was shit. She went off to her big-time college, and I went to local college, and I was working as a bar porter at Tropicana. College and higher education sometimes has a way of evening some things out. Um, I kind of took off in college. Things started happening for me. You know... I'm bartending in the casino, I'm working 40 hours, I'm taking 16 credits. And now all the high school bullshit kind of just disappeared. She didn't make it through her college. She ended up back at the community college I started at, which was fascinating. We would see each other. And now there was this quest. There was this quest to be friends on her end. 
there's this saying, you know, you gotta watch out. When you're climbing up a ladder, be careful the people you see on the way up, because you're gonna see those same people on the way down. And guys, I don't give a shit what anybody says. In this life, and I've been there, many of you have been there, and some of you have been there and not realize it. We're on this roller coaster, right? We have these moments of magic, these moments of greatness. Maybe you win that murder case, or you make that big hit, or whatever it is. You become this person of importance, this public figure, and then just like that, it could be gone. And high school, to me, reminded me so much of that. That's one thing I hate about Facebook. It gives people who lived for the high school experience a chance to maintain that and never have growth. I don't take high school happiness away from anybody, but it certainly wasn't something I experienced. College changed a lot of things. And now I'm kind of like in a different clique, and she's not. And she's trying to cling on. I was nice to her, but... It's hard to forget stuff. Eventually, one day, she was really into me. After college, I had no interest. It's hard to let that shit go. Um, then I couldn't get into law school for a while. And the jokes came back. Now, she wasn't doing anything with her life that was spectacular. But it took me several years to get into law school, for those of you who don't know. The LSAT kicked my ass. I had a bad case of dyslexia. I'm supporting Aunt Mary and Mom. I'm working full-time in a casino. I'm doing stuff with the union. And I did not go right to law school from college. I had a tough journey. And it seemed like with my failures, she really enjoyed that. I would get weird DMs on Facebook. We're not friends, by the way, so you have to check that chat area. Say how I'm never going to make it. I'm a nobody, this and that. And it was confusing, because here's what I remember. Remember, like, five years old, this being, like, my go-to at five. And it's weird how your go-to at five could be somebody insignificant at 35, but that's the way life goes sometimes, right? But at five years old, that was my go-to. At 15, I was a joke. At 25, there was confusion. 35 things take off today. At 45, like, okay, well, look at the scoreboard, lady. But it was funny. When I finally got into law school, when things started to take off for me, there was, like, this anger and confusion. And she always played the central point. So much of me was like, what was your deal? Why were you such a bitch for no reason? We could have just been cool. We could have just been friends. And today, our lives are extremely different. What sucks about life and revenge, what really sucks is this. People that try to put you down, when you get to the place when you could really just stick it up their ass and laugh in their face, they're not even worth your energy. You don't even think about them. And the only reason I even thought about this individual today, as I was in the gym at the ass crack of dawn before work, it was because somebody emailed me about her on Facebook. And their exact words were, so-and-so saw an article about you and wanted to see how you were doing. If they sent you a friend request, how would you react to that? Think about that now. 
if this individual sent me a friend request, how would I react to that? And I just responded with an LOL. And they said, what's that mean? And this person, the person who's advocating for this Facebook friendship, which by the way, do Facebook friendships really mean anything? I mean, I like to think that if you're friends with somebody, it's more than just Facebook, but okay. This person is like Switzerland, right? Nice person. But they want everybody to be friends. They think like 1994 was this great time and we should all be reunited. Okay, whatever, dude. And I said to the individual, look, I don't wish her any ill will. I hope things work out for her. But I have no desire to be friends or communicate. Because what this will become is this. She'll be drunk telling you all these things. Then she'll tell you about yourself. Then she'll need free legal advice. If they weren't your friend at 15, you shouldn't let them in your world at 45. That's all I'm saying. And it was fascinating how at five years old, we're just happy kids playing. We don't realize we're poor. We don't realize that neighborhood's going to be dangerous in a few years. All we realize is, hey, we're having a good time. It's bliss. It's happiness. At 15, the clicks of high school evolve. At 25, you're a young adult. You start seeing shit differently. 35, maybe you become established. When you finally get to that place in the life where you just tell anybody to go to hell, you can laugh about it. When you don't need somebody's financial support, and you don't need their emotional support, you don't need them, right? When that happens, you relive everything for a minute. And all I can say is this. Those moments in the sandbox, I mean this for anybody watching, anybody in general, those moments in the sandbox, I wish we could just capture them and control them and live like that, but we can't. Should never be arrogant just to be arrogant. Like, I wish somebody like this was a prosecutor. I could beat them in court. But I look at where I am, I look at where they are, and it's just like, there's really no extracting revenge at this point. And there's not a lot of effort to think about them until the name comes up. When that name comes up, and we all got that person from the past, we all got that person who we enjoyed our time and it was peaceful in the sandbox and it became a complete asshole at the lunch table. When that person comes back into the life, or tries to come back into life, the best thing you could do, ignore. The emotional cease and desist is more powerful than giving someone the middle finger. That's all I got today. Have a good weekend, guys. The proceeding was a paid presentation by McManus and Amadeo PLLC. Listeners of this program should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. No listener should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information within this program without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation. Listening to this program using any associated website or related links or resources does not create an attorney-client relationship between 
the listener and host, contributors, or contributing law firms. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this program are hereby expressly disclaimed. You and your loved ones deserve a criminal defense firm that believes that your life and freedom are worth fighting for. Matt McManus, Bill Amadeo, and the McManus and Amadeo team of attorneys, investigators, and case managers will take the lead with a vast knowledge and legal experience across the state of Michigan to get the best possible result for you. Learn more at McManusAmadeo.com. Schedule a free consultation 24-7 by calling 800-392-7311.